Guys, let's dive into our message for today. These two questions may sound simple, uh, but they really shape who we are. And those two questions, as we saw last week, are, who are you and who is Jesus? Jesus calls us to change and to influence change around us. He calls us as the church to be salt and to be light. And last week we started diving into uh, our study going through the gospel of Matthew. And we saw that Jesus teaches and shows us how to live in the kingdom of heaven. He teaches us and shows us how to live under God's authority. He teaches and shows us how to live on earth as it is in heaven. He teaches us how to be salt and how to be light. Last week, we saw that in order for us to be salt and light, it starts with repentance. And repentance will bear fruit. Repentance will bear humility, and humility will lead us to die to our sins in Jesus so that we can live for God as his children. There was a young driver who was trying to find a parking place downtown, and they were late for their appointment, and so they finally illegally parked, but he leaves a note under his windshield wiper that says, I'm so sorry, I circled the block for 20 minutes, and if I'm late for this appointment, um, then I will lose my job, and so I had to park here. And he wrote, please forgive us our trespasses. Well, he went to his appointment, he comes back out, and he was surprised to see that there was a ticket under his window because he left that, that kind note, right, explaining his situation. So he, he grabs the ticket, and on the ticket there is a note that says, well, I've circled the plot, block for 20 years as a police officer, and if I don't give you this ticket, I will lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> Man, today Jesus is going to show us how to face and how to overcome temptation. Last week we saw this wild man out in the wilderness baptizing people who were coming to repentance. His name was John. He was telling people to repent of their sins for the kingdom of heaven was near. And people from all over the area were coming out and many of them were repenting of their sins and they were being baptized by John there in the wilderness. But we also saw some other people who came out just to kind of see what all the noise was about. And those people, they came and their hearts were hard. And so when they left, they weren't changed at all. But as we're going to see today, there was someone else who came out to be baptized as well. Friends, we saw that people today are the same as what they were then. Some people whose hearts are soft and ready to hear the gospel will accept and follow Jesus and repent of their sins and be baptized. But others whose hearts are hard, they will walk away unchanged. It's the same today. And friends, you and I, just like John, don't have any power, control, authority to change anyone else. All we can do is just like John did and plead with people to repent. And their choice is up to them. So there was someone else who came out to the wilderness to be baptized, but he came to be baptized by John not because he had sins that he needed to repent of and die to. He came to be baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus, John's cousin, comes out to be baptized by 
John. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the book of Matthew. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. We'd love to give you a copy of one today. Matthew is about two-thirds of the way through. We're going to be in chapter 3. Uh, but Matthew is about two-thirds of the way through your Bible if you're looking for it. Um, it's the very first book of the New Testament. It's the first of four books that we call the Gospels. And the word gospel means good news because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the good news about Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It's where we're going to start at. Matthew 3, verse 13. Read along with me. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be, now, uh, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John conceded, consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Let's pause there for just a moment. So we see Jesus come out to the wilderness to be baptized by John. Now, Jesus didn't need to be baptized because he had sins to repent of. He didn't. Jesus was and is perfect. Peter tells us that Jesus is without blemish or defect. He tells us that he has committed no sin. John tells us that uh, there is no sin in Jesus. Paul tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And so if Jesus didn't have sins to repent of, then why in the world was Jesus coming out to be baptized by John? This was some of John's hesitation, right? He's like, hey, you're the Messiah. I need to be baptized by you. Um, but Jesus tells him, that they are doing this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus in this moment is submitting himself to the authority of God the Father. God the Son is submitting himself to, he is humbling himself to God the Father. Jesus didn't need to be baptized to die to his sins, but he is showing, you and me is showing us how we too are to submit ourselves, how we are to humble ourselves to God and his authority. Jesus is giving us an example to follow. And it's in this moment that God also, God the Father, is publicly showing, he's publicly testifying that Jesus is his son. God is showing John and everyone else who is there that his spirit is on Jesus and he testifies to who Jesus is. He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And it's these words that Jesus is going to be tempted to question here very soon. You see, Jesus is going to go from the joyous moment of baptism in the river immediately into the frying pan. Look at chapter 4 of Matthew in verse 1. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted 
by the devil. After 40 days of fasting and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. That was pretty short-lived, right? (laughs) No celebration, no cake, nothing. (laughs) Right? He was baptized and immediately carried out into the wilderness and to be tempted by the devil. The joy of Jesus' baptism is immediately followed by the trial by fire. And friends, here's the reality and the truth for us. It's easy for us to trust and to follow God when everything is going well. But we can really see whether or not we actually trust and follow God when everything is falling apart. God said, Jesus, you are my son. But whether or not Jesus trusts God or not is yet to be seen. God testifies that Jesus is his son, but through these temptations and through these trials, Jesus is going to prove that he is God's son. So Jesus is led by the Spirit of God out into the wilderness. Why? Matthew tells us, to be tempted by the devil. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. Thank you for that uh, observation, Matthew. (laughs) He's hungry. Of course he is. I mean, after 40 minutes of not eating, I'm hungry, let alone 40 days, right? Jesus was physically empty, but he was spiritually full. And friends, unfortunately for us, we are often the opposite of that. Often we are physically full and spiritually empty. So Jesus, even though he was physically empty, he was spiritually full, full, and the tempter comes. So Jesus is hungry, and so the devil comes not only with the temptation to question God, but he adds to that temptation, trying to, uh, to, to, to reach this felt need that Jesus had, his hunger pains. <laughs> he says, look, God said that you are his son, so why don't you just prove it? And why don't you meet that hunger that you have in your belly and turn these stones into bread? Now, friends, I want you to look very closely at what the devil does here, right? What he does to Jesus. Because even though the devil is crafty, the devil is not creative. Let me say that again. Even though the devil is crafty, he is not creative. He doesn't have to be either. Because even though he tempts us with the same things that he tempted Jesus with and the same things that he tempted Adam and Eve with, we still fall for the same things. He is crafty, but he is not creative. The same things that Jesus is facing are the same things that you and I face. Now John will sum these things up in his first letter, and he will call them these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things come not from God, but they come from the world, as John tells us. And friends, as you think about sin, you can fit whatever sin that you struggle with, you can fit your sin into probably one of those three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Sin comes down to one of those three things. 
Most sin can be categorized as one of those. And in fact, this is the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. Look at what is said in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was off hard working out in the fields. Oh, no, that's not what it says, is it? She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And Thomas adds, and didn't stop her and committed the sin right with her, and is just as guilty as her, both of them. But we see here this same thing with sin and temptation. We see the, the, the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food, right? And then we see the lust of the eye. It was pleasing to the eye. And we see the pride of life. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. You see, the tempter is crafty, but he is not creative. The same things that Adam and Eve faced are the same things that Jesus faced and are the same very things that you and I face. What does Satan do with Jesus? The same exact thing that he did with Adam and Eve. The same thing that he does with us. He takes what God says and he tries to get you to question it Maybe he twisted a little bit or maybe he adds a little something to it. What did he say to Jesus? He said, if you are the son of God. Jesus just heard these words and so did everybody else. This is my son in whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And Satan says, hey, if you really are the son of God, then turn these stones to bread. And friends, again, this is nothing new. He questions God and then he appeals to the lust of the flesh. He did the same thing with Adam and Eve. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right? It's the same exact thing that he was doing with Jesus. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from any of the tree in the garden? Now, that's not what God had told them. And Eve's problem was that she didn't know exactly what God or didn't remember or she had twisted herself. And she said, oh, no, no, no. God didn't say we couldn't eat from any tree. He said that we could eat or touch the tree in the garden, which is not what God had told them. Satan says, did you really, did God really say? And so, friends, if sin can be boiled down to one of those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, friends, I believe that temptation comes down to one question. I, I believe that all temptation comes down to one question. And maybe this is just because I am simple-minded, uh, but I believe that temptation comes down to this one thing. Are you going to trust what God has said or not? Are you going to trust what God has said or not? Man, you fill in the blank of your sin, 
And it comes down to, are you going to trust what God has said or not? And then we answer that question with our actions and with our thoughts, don't we? We say with our actions whether or not we believe and trust that God, God or not. Do I trust what God has said or not? We can fill in the blank with whatever sin or sins we commit. And when it, come, when it comes to giving into temptation, we are saying, I don't trust God. God doesn't know what's best for me or doesn't want what's best for me. We are saying when we give in to temptation and when we sin that God doesn't know and doesn't want what's best for me. And either way, we are saying that we know better than God and that we don't trust him. No matter what sin it is that we face. Now, friends, don't get me wrong. We are really good at trying to complicate things because we try to justify things. We try to explain away that feeling of guilt that should lead us to repentance. We try to explain away the, the pain of shame and, and guilt so that we don't feel so bad about ourselves. We, we try to overcomplicate things to justify sin being sin. And we say, well, everyone else is doing this. We say everyone else is watching these things we say everyone else is sleeping around before they're married. And somehow if we can say that everyone else is doing something, it makes us feel better about giving in to those same things, doesn't it? What did our mamas always tell us? If everybody was jumping off a bridge, would you too? And we answer that question and say, yes, we would. And we try to make ourselves feel better by saying everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is doing this. So this pain and the shame of guilt is numbed away. We say, man, it's just a little white lie. We try to add soft adjectives to, to the sin to make ourselves feel better about giving into it. Try to make ourselves feel better about actually lying. We say, our company's big enough. They won't notice that little amount or that little thing. Our company's big enough, they won't notice if I slack off and if I quiet quit. Because quiet quitting sounds a lot better than robbing my company of the salary that they're paying me for doing nothing. We say, I'm not racist, but those this or that. Friends, let's just stop beating around the bush. Because I don't know about you, I don't have time for that. Are we going to trust what God has said or not? And guys, look, the choice is yours and the choice is mine of whether or not we are going to trust what God has said or not. And guess what? I choose daily to not trust God. And so do you. Look, temptation that we face is the same temptation that Jesus faced. It's the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced. And it's the same temptation that, that everyone else faces as well. They may be different, but they are the same. And look, Jesus was tempted with the lust of the flesh and the, and the pride of life. You know, first Satan says, come and uh, you're hungry, the lust of the flesh. 
Come and meet that need and prove to everyone that you are the son of God. And look at, he's also tempted with the pride of life. Look at verse five of Matthew four. It says, then the devil took him up to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Could you imagine all the people there at the temple there to worship? And he says again, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now I want you to to look at this. Because if Jesus had done what Satan had suggested, he was right. God the Father would have sent his angels. And Right then and there, everyone who had gathered at the temple to worship God, everyone who gathered right there at the temple to worship God would have hailed him as the Messiah. Because here are these angels coming and grabbing him and rescuing him from falling. And it would have, uh, he could have bypassed a lot of time and a lot of messy ministry. But the problem is that it would have been completely misunderstood by the people. Like the other times that they tried to make Jesus their king. And it would undermine God's plan. So Jesus is tempted with the lust of the flesh, turn these bread into, turn these stones into bread, and the pride of life. Hey, go ahead and show all these people that you are the Son of God. And then Jesus is tempted with the lust of the eye. Look at verse 8 of Matthew 4. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. So Satan here claims some dominion over the earth, and temporarily he may have had some power and some authority, even though he is leashed, and even though his dominion is limited. Friends, Satan is not God's equal but opposite. Many people believe that, that somehow Satan is, is God's equal yet opposite, right? Like he's, he's God's uh, he's, he's villain, right? That's not how it works. You see, nothing and no one can compare to our God. God is all-powerful. Satan is limited. God has all authority, and Satan has some authority. Really, the only authority that he has is what we allow him to have over us. He is not God's equal in any way, shape, or form. He claims that he has some dominion, that he can give Jesus all of this that he sees. But Jesus is the rightful heir to God's authority and power. Satan had usurped some of that power with his craftiness, but his power is limited by what we give him And any power and authority that he may have stolen or sin and death may have stolen will come to an end through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So even though Satan is crafty, he is not creative. And his power is limited. And even though he is the tempter, when you and I give in to those temptations, guess who is held accountable? You and I. We, we can't just blame him. It's our fault too. James tells us that each one of us are tempted when we are dragged away by our own evil desires of the flesh and of the eyes and the pride of life. 
But thankfully for us, Jesus has given us an example to follow. Where Adam and Eve show us how to fail and give in to temptation, they took the fruit and they ate it and they sinned against God. Jesus gives us a perfect example of how to face and overcome temptation. Peter tells us that Jesus gives us an example to follow in his steps. And so if Jesus faced temptation, the same temptations that you and I face, the temptations of whether or not we are going to trust God or not, whether we're going to give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. So how did Jesus face and overcome temptation and sin? How did Jesus face and overcome the lust of the flesh? Well, let's look. Look at verse 4. What does Jesus say here? He says, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, It is written. Jesus faced the lust of the flesh with the word of God. He said, It is written. He knew and used God's word. Now, maybe this is just kind of a one-off. Maybe this is an example that we should follow. Maybe this is just how Jesus dealt with this one temptation. So let's see how Jesus faced and overcame the pride of life. Look at verse 7. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Hmm. Uh, Again, we see, It is written. Jesus faced the pride of life and the lust of the flesh with God's word. But maybe those are just two things, right? Maybe they aren't an example that we should follow. Let's look at this third temptation and see how Jesus faced and overcame this temptation. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. It is written. Are you seeing a theme? Are you seeing a common thread? Jesus knew and used God's word to face and to overcome sin and temptation. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Because I don't have to be Jesus to face and overcome temptation. I just got to know and use God's word. I don't have to be the son of God to be able to face and overcome temptation. I just got to use God's word that he has given me. So friends, if temptation comes down to whether or not we are going to trust God, in order for us to face temptation and to be successful, we first must Know God's word, right? And this is the question that the psalmist has in Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, verse 9, he says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity, right? It's kind of the same question that we're asking. How can we face and overcome temptation and sin? How can we keep our lives on the path of purity? And then he answers, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. So friends, how can we keep our lives on the path of purity? How can we not sin against God? By having God's word on our hearts 
and on our minds. We can fill our hearts and our minds with God's word so that we can live according to it, so that we can stay on the path of purity, so that we can face and overcome temptation. Now, friends, when I was in high school and middle school, and I, I hated school, okay? I didn't like studying. I didn't like doing homework. I didn't like people telling me what to do. And uh, there for a while, I thought, man, I could just stick this, this textbook under my pillow, and maybe the information would seep into my head, and I didn't really have to open it up. Guys, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. <laughs> God's word doesn't work that, like that either. And so if we're going to fill our hearts and our minds with God's word, we've got to open it up. And we've got to read it. Daily, we have to have it hidden on our hearts. And it means that daily, we have to read God's word. Jesus said that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And just like every day you have to eat to sustain your life, friends, every day you need to open up and digest God's word so that you can have life. Friends, here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we grow by studying the Bible together, that we increase our desire to know the inspired and errant word of God, humbly obeying its truth in everyday life. Friends, one of our goals as a church here, as Journey Church, is to be like the Bereans, the Bereans in the book of Acts were, were this group of people who uh, were noble-minded because they examined Scripture daily. They tested everything that was taught to them against God's Word. And friends, if we are going to face and overcome temptation, then we must know God's Word. And if we're going to know God's Word, then we have to be like the Bereans and we have to study it and examine it daily so that... It's hidden on our hearts so that our hearts and our minds are filled with it so that we cannot sin against God, so that we can stay on the path of purity, so that we can overcome and face temptation. Now, guys, there are a lot of great ways for you to read the Bible. There are amazing reading plans that are out there. You can start in Genesis and read all the way through Revelation. You can uh, read chronologically through the Bible. You can read all kinds of different translations. But don't get overwhelmed. Just start doing it. I want to give you some investing advice. Right? You didn't come here for this, but I'm going to give you some investing advice. Right? They have found that the most important thing when it comes to being successful at investing, guess what? Isn't about the mutual fund or the index or the stock or any of those things that you pick. None of those things matter as much as this, that you actually invest. <laughs> Groundbreaking, right? Like in order to be successful at saving money, you actually have to put money away and save it. That's more important than what stocks or mutual funds or anything else that you pick or what percentages or any of those things. The most important thing is that you actually put money away and save. Guys, reading God's word is exactly the same. You know what the best reading plan is? The one that you actually do. You know what the best translation of the Bible is? As Jeff says, the one that you actually read, right? Guys, get into God's word daily. Fill your hearts and your minds with God's word daily. 
so that you can face and overcome temptation. Study God's word, examine God's word daily, so that you can humbly obey its truth in everyday life. Jesus faced and overcame temptation because he knew and he used God's word. If we are going to face and overcome temptation, then we must know and use God's word. But friends, not only do we need to read and study it on our own, that's important. But just as important is for us to go deeper into studying God's word. And to do that, we need each other. We need each other. Here at Journey Church, we say that we grow by studying the Bible together. And that together is important. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Friends, God's word teaches us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. It trains us. And God uses our brothers and sisters to use his word to train us and teach us and rebuke us and correct us so that we are thoroughly, completely, fully, comprehensively equipped for every good work that God has for us to do. The writer of Hebrews says, do not give up meeting together as in the habit of some of you. Because it's only when we are in relationship with each other that we are able to face and overcome temptation. Friends, we need each other because we are better together. We saw that last week. We, we said last week that if we're going to die to sin daily, then we need to be held accountable by each other. We need to be encouraged by each other. We need to be prayed for with each other. And friends, if we are going to face and overcome temptation, then we need each other. We need others to hold us accountable with God's word. We need others to encourage us with the Bible. We need others to pray scripture over us in a great place to find other people to help us to face and overcome temptation is in life groups. So friends, uh, my life group leaders, can I ask you guys to stand up right now, if you would? If you lead a life group, if you would, just stand up. All right? Guys, if you're not part of a life group, we'd love to get you connected in one. Come up and talk to one of us. If you are a part of a life group, would you stand up now? making you uncomfortable. I'm going to call some of y'all up to pray. I'm just kidding. Look, if you're not part of a life group, I want you to look around the room. Go up and talk to one of these people. Get connected to a life group. Guys, if we are going to face and overcome temptation, then we need each other. So get connected with other believers. Thank you, guys. Y'all can sit down. We need each other. If we are going to face and overcome temptation, so get plugged into a life group. Follow the example of Jesus. Jesus knew and used God's word. And friends, if temptation comes down to whether or not we are going to trust God, then we need to fill our lives daily. We need to fill our hearts and minds daily with his word. We need to grow deeper by studying the Bible together. Now, friends, we've talked a lot about how to face and overcome temptation, but, but guess what? The reality, the truth 
for each and every one of us, including myself, is that every day we fail and we fall short. And so, thankfully for us, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is enough. Paul says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that all have sinned. Do you know what all means? It means everybody. <laughs> it means you. It means me. It means him, her. It means everyone. Everyone has sinned. But everyone can also be justified by God's grace, but only through Jesus. Friends, that means that you can be justified by God's grace because I have been justified by God's grace. And if I can be justified, then anyone can be justified, but only through Jesus. So friends, will you come today? Will you come and die to your sins so that you can live for God? Will you come and be redeemed by Jesus today? Peter told the group on the day of Pentecost when they said, what do we do? He told them to repent of their sins and be baptized. Friends, those of us who are baptized have died to our sins. So won't you come and die to your sins with Jesus so that you can be raised to life through his resurrection. Won't you come and be redeemed by Jesus today? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the example of your son, Jesus. We thank you that we can face and overcome temptation the same way that he faced and overcame temptation by knowing and using your word. And Father, we thank you that not only have you put us out here by ourselves, but you have put us here with each other. We thank you that we are better together. And that when we, we can grow deeper in Scripture, when we study the Bible together. Sin wants us to isolate ourselves. To hide not only from you, but from each other. And Father, the only way to bring healing and forgiveness and redemption to that sin in our life is to expose it to the light. So Father... Help us to come and expose the sin in our life to each other and to you so that healing and forgiveness can happen. Father, we try to overcomplicate things so much to make us feel better about ourselves, but Father, sin is sin, and we've all done it. So Father, help us to stop beating around the bush about it and help us to go put it out back and put it to death so that we can live for you as your children. Father, we thank you for our brothers and sisters who come alongside of us, who encourage us, who pray for us, who hold us accountable. We thank you for your son Jesus and the sacrifice that he has made for us. And we ask all of this in his name.